0: listening to Fanfare Tracks.
1: Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening.
2: <laughs> oh, God. You, not true. That, it's time to get all your Star Wars news single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Molcaster.
0: That's not true. That's impossible.
1: You're listening to Making Tracks. I'm your co-host, Mark Newbold, and joining me today is a man who is definitely brighter than Ahsoka's lightsaber. It's Mark Mulcaster. Mark, how are you
2: doing? I'm all right, but her lightsaber's pretty bright, isn't it? It's a compliment, dude. Take it we can get it. You're right. I was so geared up, I was so prepared for something kinda of put down. <laughs> 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 I wasn't expecting a compliment. Wonders never cease. Anyhow, how are you doing, buddy? How's things? Very good, thank you Very good Busy week, as always
1: And the site's going well And the pod's are going well So everything is good in Fantaland, And so am I How about you?
2: I'm very well, thanks, buddy Yeah, generally just ticking over Getting through the, the days And it kind of dawned on me Because it's, uh, you know, the old birthday This, this weekend mm-hmm. actually, Christ It's only four months till Christmas And it's like, oh, where's a year gone? It's just don't. ridiculous So, have you had many items into your collection?
1: I picked up the jazzwares snow speeder so Morrison's had it in it was I think before it was £18 yeah. they halved it to 9 and of course it's not big because these things are all to scale snow speeder of, of the vehicles that you can get really isn't a big vehicle beautiful design anyway and I wanted it I was just kind of waiting for it to drop in price and it did so I picked up the snow speeder has Luke and Dak managed to get Dak in the back I didn't think I was going to fit him in but there he is no big ticket items have, have turned up this week, it's all been little fiddly-farty bits. But you know me. I like the little fiddly-farty
2: bits. You like a good about- fiddle and a fart, don't you? So, yeah. You can't beat it. It's an age thing. How about you? I got some comics as well from Dark Star. I mean, I haven't caught up reading, just basically bagged and bored with them. But I got through all of them. And good. When, when I did it the other day, I was like, wow. Okay, yeah, I haven't. Read a comic for about 10 months. It's pretty bad. It must have been about October, November. I must have, for whatever reason, fell off a wagon. And you know how it is. You just leave it for yeah. a little bit too long. And now I'm just like, oh. So I'm kind of hoping that was going to be a bit of a, a restart on some of these uh, main titles.
1: When they did Star Wars To Empire, then there was kind of reset. Empire to Jedi with issue one, and now we're pretty much at Jedi, so I'm assuming they'll reset to issue one to go beyond. Be interesting to see if they do that. Yeah,
2: and it'll be interesting to see what they do, just to see if they start to kind of cross over a little bit into the Mandalorian portion of the galaxy. Be interesting just to see what they do there, or do they keep it completely separate and. Don't cross the streams in case John or Dave have a kittens about it, you know. So
1: <laughs> Lothcats. Yeah, Lothcats, yeah. yeah. I wonder though, I mean you think back to when Marvel did their original run and it got past Jedi and they had the whole Nagai invasion and the Tofts and all that sort of storyline yeah. that they did then, which which ran for a couple of years. And then after Trusa Bakura and all those books called Shabba Princess layer, all the post-Jedi stuff in that run. So that was like your second run at the timeline. Yeah. But now we're essentially on our third run refresh of the timeline, if you think about it, and we're doing it again. So I just wonder, they are nice and kind of cute at tipping the hat to previous storylines, so it wouldn't surprise me if whatever they do in Marvel's second go at doing After Jedi But they do mention the Nagai or mention races and characters, the Sea Rock from Truce of Bakura or whatever, you know, the different species that sort of knocks around. But yeah, I, I would imagine that might be a good jumping back on point for you.
2: And other than that, I haven't brought myself anything this week, but I was given a early birthday present by my good friend Mandalorian Lily and her husband Richard, and they got me a interactive Lola.
1: Oh, wicked! Yeah, wicked. I keep meaning to get one of them, and I haven't yeah. got
2: one. So I've got one Lola, but I don't have that one. So I I got the smaller one, and the irony about that was that um that one is the, the, the smaller, cheaper version, which yeah. um I found a link for like Amazon reduced it for like a flash sale. So I didn't right. I didn't even compare what it was, which version it was, and just sent it to Karen. It was like buy me this for Christmas. So when yeah. that one came, and I was uh, started poking it around, I was like, oh, it doesn't do anything. <laughs> so now I've got the, the one that does stuff and she's been kind of chatting to me now and again. So hopefully she'll keep quiet for this recording. But if she doesn't, well, you know, it's Star Wars so, and it's Lola.
1: That sounds awesome. There's loads to talk about. So let's tuck into it. One of the articles that we posted on Fanfare Tracks mentioned, and we've talked about it on the site and on the pods before, about how Ahsoka has kind of, in in a way, been influenced by Gandalf from Lord of the Rings the influence that she has on characters that surround her and the events that happen. Of the things you've seen of Ahsoka so far, what's caught your eye? What's grabbed your attention? And what do you think you're looking forward to most when we we do finally get to Ahsoka next week?
2: Um, so I've been pretty good I've seen some of the trailers but I haven't consumed everything just the last couple of series I've, I've never been one to go and seek out spoilers per se and obviously I know working on, on this show and, and doing stuff for fan tracks you, you kind of hear stuff and you hear extra bits and bobs that the average person doesn't it, it seems like it could be one of those starts to a series where she's going to go around a bit like you know, the start of, it, of The Expendables or something like that where you're, like, you're going around and picking your team and you just wonder if it's kind of a bit like that where she's going to go and meet Sabine again and then and, like, catch up with hair and stuff like that. So I'm I'm really interested to see, like, how they bring the Rebels crew in and also these Sith, who they are, what they are, what they're going to be doing. If you know Lord of the Rings and you know Gandalf the Grey and Gandalf the White and stuff like that, it's very clear that there's definitely some influence from Tolkien that they've pulled from. But that's fine as far as I'm concerned. I think that's cool because it kind of elevates her into that mystic level, but it gives her an edge, which makes her really intriguing.
1: I think from what I've seen of Ahsoka, certainly going into this live-action era, you know, we saw all the stuff she went through in the Clone Wars, we met her in the movie, we watched six seasons or five seasons, and then the Lost episodes, and then season seven, but we've already seen Rebels, and we've seen the progression of the character, and then see her returning Mando, and a little bit more in Book of Boba Fett, but now we're really meeting her, and really do get to put her front and centre under the spotlight and see what's making her tick in this Mandoverse timeline. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what percentage of the audience that's going to watch Ahsoka will be very familiar with Ahsoka and what percentage will watch her kind of going, oh, yeah, that's that character that turned up in Mandalorian and not really know much more than that. You've got to assume latter rather than the former. She's had a journey that nobody else has had, so I'm very curious to one, see how that juxtaposition of the Gandalf parallel plays out in the show, but also, yeah, just to see how she's referred to. I mean, we're seeing the trailer that Sabine now has a lightsaber, which she got given a lightsaber at the end of Rebels, I think it was Ezra's, to to look after, But, but that was it. That could have been like Maz Kanata being given Luke's lightsaber at some juncture and somebody saying, look after keep this. That, yeah, so, keep
2: hold of it. You might yeah, yeah you might not want exactly, to put it on. You know? yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: So th- there might have been no more to it than that, but obviously has thought, well, there's something in this.
2: Has it been confirmed that Sabine is going to be force sensitive? Or do we think maybe this is doubling down on dark saber training and actually for whatever is going up against, Sabine's like the best next person to have on her side?
1: It's an assumption to think that Ahsoka is training Sabine in the ways of the Force, because Sabine is a Mandalorian. They're very heavy on their melee weapons. They're very fighting-orientated people. I think it's logical to at least put it out there that maybe Ahsoka is just training Sabine in the use of the lightsaber and not necessarily in the ways of the Force. Those two things kind of feel like they go hand in hand. It might not be the case.
2: Han Solo used Luke's lightsaber, but it's like he used it to cut open a Tonton. It wasn't <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> he was using it to go up against Darth Vader or like a Dark Troop or something like that. I suppose anything could happen. You know, I wouldn't be necessarily opposed to Sabine being Force-sensitive because in some respects, I know they did a lot of heavy lifting near the end of uh, Season 4 with the Mandalorian story arc in Rebels, but really for for the rest of that time period, Sabine didn't really have much character development So, and therefore she could still go off down that Force-sensitive route and it not feel like they've just shoehorned it in just to... To sell more Ezra lightsabers or Sabine <laughs> lightsabers.
1: <laughs> but you did see when you watched her in Rebels, she was the one character that was leaping around like Spider Man. I just wonder if they thought actually, you know, maybe there's something in that. That would explain away the reason why she's in animation. She appears to be made of polystyrene and can just bounce like a rubber ball, which was fine. It was cool, but it always looked over stylized, especially with her. It literally looked like she could leap up tall buildings. So maybe that's something they can reckon and go, well, like Anakin didn't know he was using the power when he was pod racing, Sabine didn't know she was using her powers, but you, you kind of think that Ahsoka being around them all that time would have picked up on that. So You would
2: have thought this, Kanan would have
1: as well. Oh, absolutely,
2: yeah yeah yeah, you so there's,
1: there's a bit of play there isn't there there's definitely things they can dig into, which is it's going to be fascinating. The design, the visuals, the work on the volume to what I've seen so far looks flawless. Are you anticipating another step up in terms of quality in that respect?
2: Yeah, I think every production that we're going to get for the foreseeable future they're just going to push the boundaries, they're going to understand the technologies or limitations and, and how the workarounds are going to work to just get a bigger better and like more realistic image I'm really excited just to see what they do and where they take it and how they push it and also how they can try and trick some of us into forgetting where the boundary of a volume is because in some of the earlier seasons of like Mandalorian it felt very like obvious where the edge of the screen was compared to where they started to put people into like wider kind of set extensions and stuff so there's a lot to be excited about for Ahsoka and for me anyway I can't think of any negatives right now
1: we will be doing a making tracks reaction chat as well so stay tuned to Fantha there'll be our regulation group review which we always do at the weekend, and loads of coverage from Ahsoka. But suffice to say, you and me, Mark, we're both pretty excited, I reckon. I reckon. Hey, it's Alyssa Wong, writer of Dr. Aphra, and you're listening to Tracks. So we have two strikes on the go at the moment, a writer's strike, which is now well over 100 days in, and the actor's strike, the Screen Actors Guild strike. Both are seeing actors and writers on the picket lines making clear their requests and demands for changes to the industry. One of the people that was there on those picket lines was Damon Lindelof and co writer Justin Brick Gibson. They were both working at one point on the, the Ray Skywalker movie that's set 15 years after the rise of Skywalker. Both have now moved on. As Lindelof said himself, he was removed from the project after submitting his first draft. And he did make some comments. 99 days of steps under my belt, and I don't know if there's any end in sight, but I'm feeling good, strong, convinced, and unified, he told The Hollywood Reporter. Justin Gibson, and I wrote a Star Wars movie together, and picketing Disney is a lot more fun than writing a Star Wars movie. So, strange comment to make. It does come across quite barbed. It certainly comes across, to me anyway, as a little bit of sour grapes. What do you make of that comment? It it seems slightly unnecessary, but maybe in the moment, you know, on the picket lines, maybe it got caught up in the moment. What do you think?
2: Yeah, he's definitely throwing shade, isn't he? It doesn't sound like maybe he was uh, asked to leave very ceremoniously either.
1: We are in a world where people find out they're not on projects by reading Instagram, let's not
2: forget. Yeah, so. let's, yeah exactly. Maybe his script or his screenplay absolutely stunk. Could be that. He's, be he's that. a solid kind of writer, Matt. You know, I was expecting good things, so... Unless they just felt, they being Lucasfilm, that there was absolutely no way that whatever he turned in or the route that he was going down was what they wanted and, and there was no way to turn it around and reshape it. Some films, you know, they, they go through tons of writers and stuff. So yeah. it's it's also partly maybe a natural progression. The thing is, you know, it, he's a fairly big name and Star Wars is a big property. So obviously everything will be minutely posted about and shared and commented on, like, news channels. And it's very public, even though it wasn't a public firing. And also, I guess maybe he's kind of like, he's out there, isn't he, on, on the picket line, you know, and there's a very kind of anti-studio kind of sentiment flowing through Hollywood at the moment, big names taking shots at Bob Iger and what have you. So maybe it was also a little bit of that.
1: Like you say, I mean, a lot of previous movies and TV, a writer comes in, they do a first draft, they move on to something else, and a new guy comes in and picks the bones of that and takes elements of that. It happens from Empire Strikes Back onwards, really. It's it's nothing new, and a writer would know that. It does seem that there's a bit more an undercurrent to what he's saying than maybe it first appears, because that is not a process that is unheard of mm. or not unheard of. So it's, it's, a, it's a common thing. But I just also wonder, and it's a slightly different point, but, but a broader point, in a, in a sandbox like Star Wars in a galaxy like Star Wars that's telling so many stories now across so many time periods. You go back 20 years and you're thinking, we're never going to see, outside of comics and books, what happened between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. And here we are Mm. with numerous films and TV shows in that space. It's rammed. It's rammed, and books and comics. As we mentioned at the start of the show, we're just moving past Return of the Jedi in the Marvel run. So we're moving on towards that Mando era, And there's a time period there that's that's shifting forward. Aftermath obviously does come after Jedi, doesn't it? And my long-winded point, as usual, is that you'd feel or you'd like to think that there is some sort of map, a master plan of we need a director and a writer to do these two things. Let's get this writer in to give that a go and then get this director in to shoot it and film it and pull the team together. But they never seem to do that. They always seem to go, well, there's a gap. Let's get a writer-director to have a go at that. And then when it doesn't really work as they think it should work, it
2: always ends up feeling like the boss that will tell you what he doesn't want but can't tell you what he does. Mate, I work in the creative industry. Yeah, that is actually a very common thing. More times than not, I I can have clients say, I know what I don't like, but I can't really articulate what I do like. Maybe they don't really know what to do with this ray film as such. What direction are we going to set it off in? I mean, maybe it's a tone. Maybe it's. there's a number of different things, which will kind of come out organically, you'd think, in the script and and the screenplay. But I guess if the bare bones isn't there, they need to a rethink. After the film, suddenly it'll be, ah, yeah, Damon Lindelof's Styles project would have been so much better than what we got. Like the Trevorrow project. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you know, this is what we could have had, but instead we had this.
1: With all these strike actions going on, people on picket lines, lots of things being said, there's big-name actors out there with megaphones making very clear their thoughts on the situation. Bob Iger has once again spoken. As Brian Cameron said on Good Morning Tatooine this week, kind of put his foot in it a little bit with his comments before. wasn't exactly the most tactful guy in the world. Iger doesn't loosely throw comments out. There's generally some heft and thought and meaning behind what he says, so nothing is said in error. But he does say here, nothing is more important to this company, Disney, than its relationships with the creative community. That includes actors, writers, animators, directors, and producers. I have deep respect and appreciation to how vital they are to the extraordinary creative engines that drive this company and our industry. It's my fervent hope that we can quickly find solutions to the issues that have kept us apart these past few months and I'm personally committed to working towards this result, which very much reads like the sort of line that a Premier League football manager would give after being sent off the (laughs) sidelines. It's a sort of a comment that doesn't really say much of anything and just states the bleeding obvious. What do you think to Iger's position at this moment? Because he is taking a bit of a battering from equally wealthy actors, but they're not the guy signing the checks and making the decisions. He is so where do you think he stands at the moment?
2: We have like news that the VFX artists are starting to kind of like rally around and become unionized, which is something that has never happened before in America. Fair play to him. They work darn tight harder and they are put under more pressure and a lot more demands than quite a lot of people in, in the creative industry. Yeah. you know. So fair play to them. So uh, I'm coming to the end of you know a couple of TV series that I've been watching, and it's like, well, when are we going to get the next one? Will we get the next one? Or will actually, this will be a casualty of them trying to get back on track after strikes?
1: Well, Wonder Brothers said, didn't they? I mean, they're yeah. raking it in with Barbie, but they're also saving hundreds of millions by not producing content at the moment. So they're winning on both sides, despite this seemingly disastrous strike happening the big industry companies, the big you know, studios, are saving and making
2: big money. But then there will come a point when they won't be making big money because you know, cause they won't have anything to put out. And mm-hmm. un- suddenly then people will be like, oh, there's nothing I want to see on Pan out Plus." So I'll cancel it. I mean, you've got to remember that Bob Iger is like, he's ahead of Disney. I mean, he's a big guy. He's got broad enough shoulders to take kind of criticisms. There will be some resolution sooner than later. I don't necessarily think it's going to be what some people are holding out for. So then it's going to come down to whether or not they take what they can now and reassess later.
1: One thing Iger did say was that they are looking for quality over quantity, which seems kind of like a damning phrase to his own company, considering the push to get content out back when Mando came out. They were desperate for content only a few years ago. These are big boats that don't turn quickly. It's kind of strange to see Iger make that kind of comment when literally a a few short years ago, and we are talking pre-COVID, so the world has changed, but a few short years ago, they couldn't make enough stuff quick enough, and now they're talking about quality control. It kind of reads like a knee-jerk reaction to not that many films not doing as well as I hoped. Little Mermaid, probably not as well as I hoped. Obviously, Doctor Destiny, not as well as I hoped. Ant-Man still made a $400 million plus, but that's not as well as I'd hoped. So there have been a few bumps in the road, but nothing disastrous. There's no end for the MCU. There's no death knoll for the Star Wars galaxy. But do you think that stretching out the release dates now, for certainly for Star Wars, do you think that's a possibility? I've seen rumors online of skeleton crews being pushed back a year, That Andor's now 2025. Don't know the validity of any of that. It's just scuttlebutt. But whatever the thought in people's minds is out there now, do you think
2: that's a possibility? Do you get something quicker or do you let it bake a little bit longer and you get a better cake? Yeah. Do you satiate your appetite sooner just because like there's not being a Star Wars film for a few years yeah Star Wars is a little bit different because it seems we don't have that massive or we're just starting to now have that interconnected ongoing story with a Mandoverse you know with the end of the Skywalker saga again a bit like Endgame that's kind of where you can park it for a while and, and have a rethink I mean, there's going to be people like me and you who will be crying out for Andor season two when it comes, and if it's delayed another year, that's going to really suck. Skeleton Crew, we've seen very little of it, so therefore, if it gets delayed, we don't really know what we're missing. True, but then maybe because they're losing money on the streamer service, and that, well, we can take some of these series, we can push those back, and that will be maybe our one, or we'll only have two season two big Star Wars seasons a year. You know, we we'll only do maybe one in the you know in the fall, and that's it ultimately what it really makes or breaks a streaming service is the content on there and if you've got stuff that you can't get anywhere else but it now suddenly is drying up what do you do do you um you go I'll just uh I'll just park my uh, subscription to Disney plus until Mandalorian season three comes out or until you know the next season of whatever skeleton crew comes out I'm happy to wait. It's not like we haven't had to wait before for Star Wars. It's only going to be the fans who kind of really came on in 2014, 2015, had a a film every year, but everyone's probably going to fill the drought more than like me and you who've lived through dark times and hiatuses and everything else and uncertainty. This is part and parcel of a a big franchise.
1: There's a lot on the line at the moment. It's not just the strike. It's more than an inconvenience. It's the livelihoods of a lot of people. And so things need to be discussed and, and changed and altered but nevertheless going right back to damien lindelof and his conversation about how picketing is more fun than writing a star wars movie there's a lot of things that need to change a lot of things that need to be put right but hopefully for all of us uh, who follow everything that happens in the star wars galaxy somebody will make it work
2: hi this is tamara carlson woodard i work on the book of boba fett and the mandalorian and you're listening to fantha tracks
1: So we return to the Halls of Olympia and London from Comic-Con. Paul Naylor and Jonathan Hipkiss as they sit down at the table with Julie Sharp. Julie played a protocol droid inside the Sandcrawler and if you're interested in Sandcrawlers you can listen to the latest episode of Start Your Engines where me and Paul Naylor talk about Sandcrawlers and discuss her time on A New Hope. So this is Paul and John at London from Comic-Con talking to Julie Sharp.
0: (laughs) So we're with Julie Sharp. Is this the first time you've done a convention, Julie? Uh,
3: No, I did do one for the same organisation, London Film Comic Con, in
0: 2017. Wow! So second time. Second anniversary. Yeah, weren't put off then. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So, explain to our listeners your connection to Star Wars.
3: Um. Well. Um. Where do I start? Um. I got a phone call um, from, from my agent. She had a dance school and a stage school. And one day, I'd, I'd already done a couple of films and some TV work, but always extras. And um, she phoned me and said, Julie, there's a, a science fiction film. I said, yeah, I said, Elstree. I said, okay. And she said, they have the costume already, but they're looking for tall, a tall girl, very thin. And um, would you like to go and try it on and just see? And I said, yeah, fine. You know, okay. So I went there and I tried it on. And um, they first gave me, um, it was the summer of 1976, a very, very very hot summer. my God. (laughs) And Lycra didn't exist. So I was in like a cotton leotard with leggings and um, balaclava. So that was hot enough. Yeah tried it all on and they said it fitted perfect so that was fantastic yeah. as well yeah. and they said to me that if I was the type of lazy that panicked you could not get the mask off because it was it's in two on, yeah. It? It yeah. was, yeah, yeah I mean it was all oh, wow. Uh, two parts and then it had hinges at either side and long bolts so they would bolt me into it and obviously the arm movement very restricted as so were the legs as well So if I had to like walk onto the set, I always had a crew guy with me because the vision was very limited as well. And the only thing I think that many fans probably do not know that the mouth, I had um, gold-coloured sellotape to close it up even more. And I would sit there and I would try to... Open it up so to get some air in, yeah. And um, when we filmed the sand crawler scene inside, it was very, very low, very, very low. And at the front, there was like a very big window, yeah. no glass, where the camera from the outside would yeah. obviously pan in. And I used to sit there thinking, just keep cool because it was so hot in there. And they had actually lights in there. And I, because I'm tall, I had to bend. Anyway, and then they told us that we have to. It was like a transport vehicle. I mean, imagine in seventy six hearing all this. <laughs> yeah. I
0: mean,
3: wow, fantastic! And um, and that you just have to move a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it.
0: So, we're looking at the pictures that you've got in front of you here. So yes. You're the character with the back to us. Yes. You? Yeah. Yeah. So, you're, you. Look we like called a... it
3: the junkyard scene. The junkyard scene. Yeah, <laughs> because it was all, you know, parts it was all of spares yes. and repairs, really, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs>
0: so, it's the, it's the scene in A New Hope where 3PO is shuffling along and he That's finds right. R2D2 in the sandcourt. So, he shuffles past you, basically. Yeah.
3: yeah, but I had my back. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. So, you don't really see what's going on.
0: <laughs> so, you <laughs> needn't have had that thing put on the front of you face after all.
3: <laughs> Actually, you're right there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. It's only taken over 40 years to realise this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, I mean, once this had all been filmed, how long were you on set for?
3: Well, I was fortunate. I, my memory doesn't serve me that well, but I think it was about three or four days. But yeah. I was definitely there at the end of the filming. In July, yeah. they'd just done the same screenshots in Tunisia yeah and they said to me the crew that if they'd known before because it fitted so well I could have done Tunisia but never Mm. mind you know I'm happy what I did yeah so I was there the last three or four days of filming and then I also got invited to the 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 finishing party
0: yeah the rap party yeah yeah which was
3: fantastic and then I saw all the magnificent photographs, black and white, the stills of the whole film, wow. and I remember going home and my mother saying to me what, what do you think, and I said oh mama I said I, I think this is going to be quite, quite big yeah <laughs> Could
0: you, was it from those stills you got that impression?
3: Yes but it was just going into the studio, I mean I walked into both of them, where the Millennium they built the half a million and yeah. to see the size you know in those years of uh, a prop, so impressive and like that things plane. looked so
0: old and yeah. broken. Oh, yeah, yeah. I
3: mean, uh, fantastic designs. And, and I remember walking up because I was a bit bored one day, walking up into the ramp, you know, of the Millennium going up. And inside, it was just a wood. So it just, ah, oh, it was oh, amazing, <laughs> amazing experience.
2: And
0: when you saw it on the big screen, what was that uh, like? Can my, you remember my that? My
3: father is a big was my late father yeah. was a big science fiction. And I remember oh, when it started, that John Williams, the music, for a start. Every time. Yeah, you see, yeah, I've, got every this, time. I've got this. Every <laughs>
0: time. Um,
3: and I yeah. just remember thinking, him looking at me going, wow.
0: You're in, yes. Yeah. Oh, I just feel honoured. Yeah.
3: And it's lovely how I found my way into this and how life brings the circle back round. Yes,
0: yeah. Yeah. The amount of people who keep saying that now, it yeah. really does seem to be coming full circle for yeah. so many people, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And after all these years, it's, yes. it's, it's just... Does it still... I always like this, but does it still ever hit you? Always. When Ra- making a cup of tea, you go, oh, this no. huge
3: phenomenon. Um, <laughs> no, not so much that. It's when I hear the music, the theme, yeah. that always gets me. And when the fans come here, uh, especially... Um, at the last one that I did that, back in 2017 a couple of guys came with posters and I can actually they're obviously from the film thing because I remember the smell of the studio and the props, they were wrapped in bubble wrap and everything and, it, and the whole smell like yeah. perfume takes you back yes, yes, yes. the smell of these posters took me back and I remember thinking oh wow that's brilliant yeah. well thank you ever so much for your oh, time pleasure. It's been a pleasure. yeah I wish you we're, all the best we're, very, your jealous. Organization. we're very jealous' <laughs> <Thank you> very
0: jealous <laughs> if we could be a third rock from the left <laughs> we'd be happy being there, so congratulations thank, thank, thank you, you so much. enjoy the
3: rest of your day thank you so much
2: for everything in one location daily news reviews interviews podcasts video and social media feeds bookmark panthertracks.com for Star Wars news 24 7 365.
1: Fly with the Supercon 2023, Clone Wars stars Matt Lanter, Ashley Eckstein and James Arnold Taylor were all on stage talking about the series that brought them together, that they love so much, the Clone Wars, and discuss their surprise at the sale by Lucasfilm to Disney back in 2012 and the effect that it had on the show. Ashley said, we were well into season seven when the series was cancelled. We were under the assumption that we were going to make eight seasons of the show. Matt Lanter added, I'd been told that we were going to go as long as George wanted to go. And then James, Darlord Taylor, says the killer line, originally George said he wanted to make 300 episodes. Incredible thought that Lucas at one point had thought that a show that spans the time distance of basically just three years between clones and Sith would have room for 300 episodes. Given that we got what we got, we ended up with seven seasons, all fantastic. Do you think that the Clone Wars as a show could have sustained 300 episodes, do you think it would have been too packed with stuff going on? Would they have brought in other characters so we could have gone on parallel journeys at the same time with different people? Or maybe it would have gone beyond the Clone Wars in the way that the Bad Batch has. Do you think they could have done that?
2: Puts into perspective, 300 episodes, that's that's over double what we've got already. Now, that would be an absolute gift. However, would we be sat here kind of going, oh my God, just catch up with Grievous already? (laughs) <laughs> george lucas Dave filoni especially far more savvier storytellers than i ever will be so therefore they're not they wouldn't just flog that horse they what they could have done is they could have stretched out that whole order 66 thing and yeah like i think you would end up probably branching out more into like ahsoka going off i wonder if they could have pushed anakin's descent you know even more there's definitely things that they could have gone off and done and plus obviously the random filler episodes that they started to do. But then also you think about over the time period whether or not they would have stuck with 24 episodes or something a season or you know, and maybe those seasons would have shrunk down a little bit as well, depending on where they were being shown and what have you feels on like a a streaming platform. I would like to have seen yeah maybe some episodes running right into the back of Revenge of a Sith and even with some episodes and some characters going beyond that into Bad Batch territory. In fairness, you could think, actually, if it was 300 episodes, invariably that could have included The Bad Batch, you know, as what we've got now. I would have loved to see more another feature, start it with a feature, end it with a feature, but actually not four episodes bolted together, an actual we're going all out, this is a feature, even though it may only have a limited screen in in the cinemas, but actually we're going to do a proper feature, balls to the wall.
1: Matt Lanter said, I'd heard we were going to keep going until George didn't want to do it anymore, which at the time sounded like it was going to be a while. This is quite interesting. Ashley Eckstein says, keep in mind when Disney bought Star Wars, it was a shock to everyone. Nobody knew. Apparently there were only five people in the company in all of Lucasfilm that actually knew that Disney was buying Star Wars. It sent ripples through the galaxy and it was devastating when the show was cancelled. That was never our plan. And then James Arnold Taylor says, the fans saved the show. We recorded in the same place we always had, which was wonderful. We had a great time. It was short-lived. That was the only problem. It wasn't a lot of episodes, but when we did it, things were great. We did these scenes and Dave said, we got it on the first take, but let's do a few more times. It's just so much fun having you guys in here. To think that that could have gone on for 300 episodes just seem a lot. I wonder if James Arnold said, I'd like to see him when he said it, whether he was being a little bit tongue-in-cheek or whether he was being completely sort of, serious when he says that but nevertheless there was clearly plenty more that they were looking at and then they were looking at season eight and decided to wrap the clone wars as taylor just says they're brought back by the fans the love of the fans and such maybe it wouldn't just all come under the clone wars banner as we say we've got bad batch now but there's other stories as well there's other avenues that could have gone down so it's one of those sliding doors moments isn't it what could have been i'm brian herring bb8 puppeteer and you're listening to fan the tracks That'll learn you. We've got a listener's question, and it comes from a familiar name. It's from Skyhawker, and the question is, Hi again, lads. I've seen Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny four times. I really enjoyed it, and I think it's a great addition to the series. I'm sure there are many reasons for this, but one that I noticed personally is that youngsters, i.e. anyone under 25, aren't really interested in seeing an 80-year-old man as the lead in a film based on a franchise from the 80s. My three teenage kids had no interest at all in seeing the film with me at the cinema. They are looking forward to watching Barbie, however. Do you think that this film was made 10 years too late and what other reasons do you think there are for its financial disappointments? Cheers, dude, Skyhawker. That question was sent in a couple of weeks ago. I would assume they have now all seen Barbie because, goodness knows, 1.2 billion worldwide probably means that everyone's seen it at least once. Indie is coming to digital platforms on the 29th of August, so its run at the cinema really is coming to a close. It's just about hit 370 million worldwide which is probably less than they would have anticipated it getting in the States alone, let alone everywhere. So for such a good film, I thought it was fantastic. It's just not connected with the audience. I think there's some good points in there that a film that came out in the very early 80s, I mean, 81, made in 1980, was for my generation. Even before your generation, I was watching that film as a 10-year-old kid, and then Temple of Doom comes out, it was like, the big sequel after Jedi had come out, Mm. and then Last Crusade comes out, which felt like a wonderful gift and wraps the trilogy, and then it's near as damn it 20 years until the next one, and since then it's been another 15 years until this one. So of all the franchises when you think, why couldn't they just keep making these films every four or five years to keep it in the public interest and not just a beloved sequel, it just makes me wonder that when I was a kid, 11 years old, E.T. came out, and I honestly believe if they made a sequel to E.T. today, it wouldn't be a hit. You kind of think oh, yeah, that's that's the decade that everyone wants to see. I think maybe we've moved beyond that into another era of I yeah. don't know mm-hmm. what. Do you think the Skyhawker makes a good point?
2: I, I think, yeah, no, I think he does. And thank you very much, Mr. Skyhawker, for sending in the question. The nice thing about Star of Destiny was that it felt so very in keeping with the rest of the series. Mm. When you go and show your kids Star Wars, do you actually start them off with A New Hope? Because like my nephews and that have watched that, it's like, oh... Those old ones are so boring, they're so slow. And Indiana Jones actually is a a little bit more fast-paced than the original trilogy, I would think to an extent but like world war ii was like 70 odd years ago be some of these things that for us were still a big deal back in the 80s don't really have the same kind of meaning to people these days Battle future was what 1985 wasn't it 85 yeah yeah so like 85 to 1955 is 30 years in 2023 if we were to go back 30 years that'd be 1993 which doesn't feel like a long time ago at all that's only four years before the special editions came out bear in mind that we have grown up with harrison ford since star wars all the way through all those films that he's done all those you know patriot games and air force yeah. one and all that stuff all those films you know we've grown up with him as he's grown older so there's something very nice about seeing him back in his heyday i think for us as well it's that kind of nostalgia thing karen's boys are a good benchmark for that because they're you know 16 and they're 18 they've been around pop culture and geeks with a family and their parents and and with me and that their entire life they used to go to mcm comic cons and stuff but they weren't interested about going to see indiana jones not at all for us obviously we think it's sad but i think that's just telling there's also they didn't promote it they promoted it purely on the strength of it being the end of a series but maybe they needed to really remind people and celebrate what we've had and it was kind of like it was only just this year that we've had indiana jones on disney plus and that and it's it was kind of like a you know, a quick press release, and that was it.
1: I do know people who, especially in the States, who spoke to friends of theirs who didn't even know there was an Indiana Jones film out. And mm. which I, You know, on one hand, I'm thinking, well, wow. It felt to me like Harrison especially was on everything in the States over here. He was doing stuff left, right, and centre. But we're attuned to watching out for people like Harrison Ford and Phoebe and, and the rest of the guys. And I do think it does go to something that you just said, you know, a younger audience. I mean, here we are. It's... 42 years since Raiders came out. Yeah. So when I was 20, 42 years before was, was 20 years before I was born. So I was born in 71. So it's expecting me in 1991 to be interested in a franchise that started in 1951. It's probably not going to happen in in very few cases unless it's a franchise like Star Trek, which has been on for 50-plus years. I know Star Wars is getting up there now. still feels fresh. But for indie, you're right, I think... Promotional-wise, when Revenge of the Sith came out, there was that beautiful trailer in Obi-Wan Kenobi's hut from A New Hope when he explains all about Anakin in the Clone Wars. You see the flashback scenes, you know, juxtaposing what we'd seen in the prequel trilogy with what we'd seen in the original trilogy, and it was just perfect, because after all those years, it put action and visuals to Alec Guinness's words, and it was a masterstroke. And I'm not saying that you could have done that for indie. A saga and a serial adventure series are like indie. They're not quite the same. I know we think of them as the same, but they're not quite the same. There was an opportunity there to throw up those scenes from Raiders, throw up those scenes from Templar Doom, really lead in to the fact that this is a cinematic character that's got 40-plus years of blockbuster hits, and here we are at the end of his journey... And don't forget, kids, the first 25 minutes is going to look like he did back in the 80s. You know, here's an opportunity to basically watch a missing Indiana Jones film from like 1991 or something that never got made, which is kind of the vibe of that opening sequence to Dial of Destiny. I don't quite know what the disconnect in terms of marketing was, but clearly there was one because it didn't grab people. Well, I do think Skywalker makes a great point in that, and you've just said it, you know, with teenagers knocking around your house, is that to them, Indy is not a zeitgeist character. They put the Indy trilogy or sorry, the Indy quadrology on Disney Plus, what, a couple of weeks before Dial of Destiny came out? And in the UK, we didn't get young Indy in the States they did. So there's this whole treasure trove of classic movies and television that they really could have... Parlayed for getting people's interest and come and see this film, you know, just it's going to be a roller coaster ride. Tell you or tell all your friends about it. It's insane to think an Indiana Jones film has only made 370 million worldwide. I'm flabbergasted that that's the
2: case, but that's where we are. So, Last Crusade, which a lot of people will say is the last decent Indiana Jones films before Dial of Destiny, you know, you had Crystal Skull, which again. When that came out, I thought, wow, we're kind of starting to push it a little bit in terms of the time difference between these releases. God, what what year was that, Mark? Twen- 2008. Yeah, so now we're 14, almost 14, 13 years beyond that. If Indiana Jones and Crystal Skull had been better received, whether or not we would have had it sooner, or whether or not they would have gone, actually, we can leave that now. I mean, hell, like I said, I'm just looking at this right now. Transformers Rise of the Beasts made more money than Indiana Jones Dial of Destiny to my mind is a travesty I mean the fact that Fast and Furious X made more money than Indiana Jones in my mind is a travesty but then it's captured a completely different market for franchises like Star Wars like Star Trek and bond very few of them that have have had a continual presence in the marketplace since they have been released and even star wars in that dark times in that true dark times after return of jedi until really we got the expanded universe it did disappear off people's radars star trek was always syndicated you could always turn on bbc2 or something like that and there'd always be a star trek on Where you can always turn on itv4 and you'll see a promo for a bond film that's what they do Therefore, that's how you keep people invested. But Indiana Jones after Crystal Skull, barring some rather dubious appearances on, say, South Park and stuff, it just disappeared. I think people thought that franchise was done, and I think that's possibly why we are seeing the results that we're seeing.
1: I guess, sadly, I suppose when Lucas and Spielberg and Harrison Ford and those movie brats of the 70s broke through, breaking the structure of how films were made, they were the young books that were coming along to change the industry. That was 50 years ago. Now Spielberg's in his late 70s. Ford and Lucas are in their 80s. John Williams is in his 90s. And it's just the fact that we ain't spring chickens either anymore. And whilst these performers, these producers, directors, composers are without doubt our heroes in 2023, it is a nostalgia trip in the sense that a new Marvel film isn't. It's part of something bigger in the same way that when Templar Doom came out, it was part of something bigger then that was fresh and new and still very vital. Those guys were ruling Hollywood in the 80s. It's a different time. I would agree with Skyhawker's question in that, yes, it probably is 10 years too late
2: thank you Mr Skywalker for your question really are always appreciated and the fact that I'm talking about sending in a listener's question means that we have come pretty much to the very end of the episode and so there's only really one thing left for us to do maybe two things but one thing for Mr Newbold to do where you can send in a listener's question and how and where and why and when you can find all the other amazing stuff about tracks The Mark take it away well thanks for listening to making
1: tracks if you
2: want to be part of the action visit Fantrax.com or be sure Sure to comment,
1: like, and share on our social media feeds at Fanthatrax. Send in your listeners' questions by emailing radio at Subscribe, leave a review, preferably a so on, on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your Podcatcher or Smart Speaker of choice. And as always, thanks to James Temple for composing the Fanthatrax intro, Adam O'Brien for our Making Tracks opening music, and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers. Tune in to Good Morning Tattoo in this live Sunday evenings 9 o'clock UK, 4 pm Eastern, 1 pm Pacific. On Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, and check out our Phantom Tracks Radio Friday Night Rotation every Friday at 7 o'clock UK time for new episodes of the Phantom From Down Under, Planet Layer, Desert Planet Discs. Start your engines! Collecting tracks, Canal fodder, and special episodes of making tracks. And every Tuesday at 7 o'clock UK time for your weekly episode of making tracks. And remember, PhantomTracks.com, our social media feeds, PhantomTracks TV, and PhantomTracks Radio are absolutely free. Three. so no Patreon, buy me a coffee,
2: Kickstarter or Indiegogo required to stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news. And that's me done for this episode. Well done. However, if you do see us at a convention or an event, you can buy marker coffee and me a Diet Coke. We won't say no to that. No, oh, definitely not. Absolutely. Hopefully you'll catch us at the next episode and look out for any reaction chats and reviews and news and that we do of Ahsoka when we get round to seeing that next week. But until then, as always, may the force be with you. Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio, it's Desert Planet Discs. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Lola? That's Lola. <laughs> and... <laughs> I don't know how to turn her off.